Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this uh, installment of the TCU Neely School of Business Real Estate uh, webinar. My name is Carl Pankratz, and I'm an adjunct professor at TCU, uh, but I'm also the managing director and president of Blackacre Commercial, the sponsor for today's event. So our guest today is a friend and one of the best darn bridge lenders in the country, uh, especially if you're looking for, you know, kind of existing stuff. Aaron Derby, Benefit Street Partners. Aaron, what, what, what is happening? Where, where are you at these days? Where am I at right now? Is that San Francisco? Yeah, yeah I'm in um, Southern Marin County, which is just, uh, just one town up from Sausalito, which is just one town up uh, from San Francisco. So, uh, you know, we're, we're hanging out up here. Um, you know, things are a little more uh, locked down in California uh, than they are in Texas, but less locked down than New York. So yeah, we're just hanging. Well, Hey, there's uh, the good thing about you is you've been able to find opportunity um, no matter where you are. And uh, you know, let's, let's kind of get into it. Um, I mean, you've had a heck of a career, but that career starts with a single step. So uh, you graduate college, university of Delaware. Uh, and yep. uh, what, what was that first stop? Gosh, you, you know, and, and I think it's, I think it's, important to note it's just so it's so different now i'm sure this this might be your your experience too um starting a career in real estate is uh i think a lot more complicated and challenging than than it used to be um you know i graduated college in 2003 general finance degree you know a couple internships here and there but you know i was just a college kid graduating with uh, not a not a ton of focus, so I mean I ultimately kind of fell into real estate, um, and I mean it's something I was interested in, but it's not something my you know my resume wasn't up and down real estate. And now my opinion is to you know to crack one to crack real estate, you really need to have a focused resume, fo focused experience, uh, real references, real relevant internships. So. I think that's to that's totally different than what it used to be. But um, my first job out of school was pretty pretty uneventful. Uh, I worked at uh, PNC Bank in a non real estate group. Uh, worked in basically fund accounting. Um, it was you know you're out of college job, pretty pretty boring, pretty painful. Um, I was making thirty thousand dollars a year, which you know, that's $2,003. So it's a, it's a little bit better than it sounds today, but not that much better. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I think I worked there for about a year. I figured out that my boss's boss made about $55,000. And I was like, okay, time to, uh, time to find another path. <laughs> There's a lid on this deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So for you finding another path uh, involved going back to school. Um, so what, yeah. what led you to get your MBA? Yeah. So at, at that, at that point, um, I had started working in, uh, real estate. I was working at, uh, uh, General Motors commercial mortgage, which, uh, you know, that, um, uh, sounds like an old name, uh, to, uh, to anyone, you know, much younger than us, but General Motors back then was just a humongous company with, uh, humongous uh, arms in the uh, financial world. Um, 
so I, I, I worked there for uh, several years, and uh, I, I was working on my MBA. Uh, well, Aaron, real that, quick, Aaron, yeah. that's a that's kind of a cool kind of sidetrack. You know, it, it's it's pretty amazing how much talent came out of GMAC. I mean, it really Crazy. was one of. I mean, it it really was one of the top firms in the country. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about just, you know, talk about a little bit like all the talent that was in that firm? Oh yeah. I mean, r- really incredible. Um, now, um, uh, pretty much the entirety of, uh, Brocadia, uh, was sourced from, uh, General Motors. That was really the predecessor company. Now, um, Brocadia is actually huge on, certainly on the apartment side on, um, on financing, on um, uh, on Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, I think they're probably the biggest player in the in the country for uh, for agency, or, or you know, one of the one of the top two or three anyway. Um, I can tell you all all the all the uh, the commercial real estate um, uh, rating agencies that uh, were that are not named. Uh, Fitch, S- S&P, and Moody's actually started at uh, General Motors too. They had they had a they had a, a, a group uh, that was focused on um, CMBS ratings, and that and the, and individuals from that group uh, and that's a group where I worked uh, went on to uh, launch um, uh, the platform at Morningstar, uh, the platform at uh, Kroll and uh, and one other as well. So it, re- it really was a, a powerhouse until uh, it was it was kind of bought and split up. Really, um, really right at the end of that cycle, uh, I want to say it was uh, 06 uh, era that, that the company was split up and uh, broke into pieces. And um, ultimately, that was not a great time to be doing that. Yeah. I mean, what a piece of history, but, um, you know, so we kind of talked about, you got an MBA and and so you graduate and, you know, obviously you you joined the workforce in 2007, but you know, that's a a year away from the great recession. So, you know, let's let's go ahead and talk about, you know, kind of what was life like, you know, in 08, especially in a place that was so focused on lending to commercial real estate assets. Yeah. um, So it's funny. I'm looking out my window right now at uh, the place I worked at, that time, it's literally right, right beneath my house. Um, could hit a, on a on a good day uh, about a about a four iron would would, uh, would get me there. Um, so I, I moved out here uh, to San Francisco in '07, um, uh, right at the height of you know everything crazy going on, crazy capital markets. Um, Go go days! Everyone's uh, making money. Uh, my company was called Redwood Trust, uh, which um, really was kind of ninety percent residential lending focused and ten percent commercial uh, lending focused. Um, so you know, we uh, it kind of hit us early because if if you recall, the, the residential market got crushed about six months before you really started to see commercial real estate slipping. So, you know, we kind of saw the, uh, the problems coming. Uh, at the time I was managing a really enormous uh, loan portfolio. Um, I had $50 billion of first loss real estate 
um, exposure, thousands and thousands of loans. And, you know, it just started out like, oh, this loan went to Lincoln. Oh, we got to, we got to fix it and figure it out. And and then you, then you're ultimately playing, um, playing whack-a-mole, right? Like you get, you have so many loan problems that you're, you know, your, your investment is, you know, in the, in this overall vehicle, it's just toasted at some point. So eventually it was more about um, not how many losses you were going to take. It's when, it's when those losses were going to come. So my group, when I started in 07, went from it was a little bit over 20 employees. And by the end of 09, it was literally just me. So, you know, it, wow. that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough, um, tough thing to go through. Uh, you know, hopefully we don't see anything else like uh, that again. And then, uh, you know, starting in 2010, we rebuilt that group, we rebuilt, uh, you know, a lending platform, built the grab the group back up to, I think it's probably 25, 30 people, um, started a, a really successful platform, um, starting in mezzanine lending, mezzanine finance. Um, and then we got into you know, CMBS permanent finance as well. So, hmm. so I got to see that thing go kind of down and back up. So it was a great experience. Wow. And so, you know, when you look at back at, you know, now you're, you're obviously now active in the space today, but you know, in the back of your mind, there's lessons learned about, you know, what went wrong? What did people do differently? And it might be just, you know, whether credits value differently today than it was in 08. But, you know, if you could say kind of three to four lessons learned, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, how, you know, you know, has, has, has things changed a lot since the errors that were made in 08? And, and part of that was just, you know, the economy went down the tubes. And, and maybe that's not necessarily that it was a bad loan. It just got caught up in a bad environment. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, but I also think, you know, 0, 05 to 07 was, you know, the worst lending the market's done. Pretty much, you know, certainly, certainly in my lifetime. Um, you know, cre- credit went out the window. Um, uh, CMBS was in its heyday, which isn't a good or a bad thing. But, um, you know, we were in this market of, if you can, if you can sell it, who cares about the credit, right? That, that, that had become the mentality. Um, you know, the CMBS kind of led, led the market down life insurance companies had to follow to some degree. So, um, credit, uh, credit just really got lost. Um, so I think the shakeout in 08 really, um, Separated good firms from bad firms, uh, good good borrowers from bad borrowers, and it it, it frankly ultimately uh, let the market just have a, a real reset on how to how to think th- things through, um, how to analyze deals because uh, uh, you know at at the end of '07, I mean barely anyone was even analyzing real estate. It's just can you get a couple more bips than, than, than the next guy? And, you know, real estate credit was really a secondary analysis. Um, right. You know, the, and since then the market has certainly ebbed and flowed, um, but without question, uh, a, a much more logical uh, analytical approach to real estate credit every year since then. Yeah, and so now with, uh, yeah, go ahead. 
yeah. So, so taking those lessons and let's talk, let's, let's bring it to today. So, you know, what are the, the top attractors to you on a deal um, that you're valuing today? So if, if, a, if an apartment, let's, let's stick to apartments. So if an, if an apartment owner is presenting a bridge loan, you know, what are the, some of the key factors you want to know pretty quickly? Outside yeah. of whether or not they, they like Joe Flacco and, and obviously <laughs> the Delaware connection. So. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the first thing we're going to focus on is, well, well starting out, I mean, I mean we're, 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 we're approaching these things simple, stupid, right? Like, we're not going to over, overthink these things. Um, first thing is just logical, like who, who are your partners? How much money are you, you planning on bringing in? Um, second is, can, you know, do you have a, do you have a cogent, uh, business plan, uh, to make this work? Uh, third is, uh, okay. Can we, can we comp what you're doing both on, both on, uh, uh, the business side and can we comp what we're doing on, uh, the valuation side? If the answer is yes to those questions, you know, it's going to be a, a deal uh, that we're really interested in. Um, you know, a, a, a deal that uh, is tougher for us is, you know, you're bringing in a bunch of crowdfunded equity. Um, you know, you, you might be, you know, you might be hitting a high watermark on, on a, a purchase price. And um, one of the things that we've found really challenging too is, uh, and you know, multifamily specifically has really been rapidly appreciating. But one thing that always rubs us the wrong way is if an asset sold, you know, within the last two three years, uh, you have a seller that really didn't didn't light the world on fire on a business plan, and they're and they're making, um, you know, they're selling for two two x their purchase price. You definitely see that stuff in this environment, and you know, some sometimes we can't get over that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And, you know, kind of, as you've kind of seen it, you know, let's just talk about, you know, for example, I'll, I'll bring up my hometown of Dallas here, you know, it's, you know, you're starting to see 1980 vintage apartments trade in the, you know, four and a half, maybe four and a quarter cap in some cases going in. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just wild to think, you know, that's 86 vintage. Um, and so you're seeing, I'm sure you're seeing you have a, a viewpoint from the entire country seeing that, you know, deals are getting thinner and thinner and thinner. So as a bridge lender, you know, everybody kind of assumes you're going to go in and hit 80% loan to cost in order to make their deals work. Is that still the case? Have, have low, you know, I know that, you know, spreads are starting to kind of come in a little bit, but, you know, is, 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 is the rate low enough for you to still be hitting 80% loan to cost on a pretty consistent basis or have times changed a little bit? Yeah, I, I think... I think we were in an environment um, a year ago, pre-COVID, where you could you could expect to kind of hit eighty percent on a on a project as long as you know it kind of checked the boxes. Now I'd say post post COVID, uh, the world's tougher. I, I mean, uh, the the number of competitors in my space, without question, has um, has gone down. Um, you know, with respect to multifamily, though, and the buyers remain aggressive, the lenders remain aggressive because in this weird time, um, you know, it's kind of where else are you going to put capital? It, you know, it's hard to lend money in retail. It's hard to lend, lend money in hotels, even though we do some. Uh, office has its, its question marks uh, as well. So you're really kind of left with 
multifamily, industrial, and maybe self-storage as um, uh, spaces that don't have obvious um, COVID-related uh, problems. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the market had very little liquidity uh, in April and June. And, uh, since then, I think we've had a return of liquidity for some lenders. But I think everyone's kind of dialing dialing everything back five to ten percent on leverage. I think it's probably fair to say right now, seventy five percent is the new eighty percent of what it was a year ago. And three months ago, I would say seventy percent was the new eighty percent. So we're moving in the we're moving in the right direction. Um, but uh, I think we did just have a little bit of a, a mini correction on credit. No, nowhere near as um, steep and long as what we had in 08, but but you know I think we just saw a real correction. Yeah, and and I, I do have to give kudos to you, Aaron. You know, and we there might be other bridge lenders out there, but I think you know number one, you have a lot of firepower behind you, and kind of the parent company that owns your firm, and 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 that really helps on the asset management as well. I think you have an entire team that you know I've seen yeah, and yeah. seen firsthand that you have an entire team that is kind of dedicated to helping the borrower get to close as quick as possible. And I think that all goes in the picture when you're picking out bridge lenders. It really does. Yeah, it, it, it really, it really does matter. And um, it, you know, the best compliment I can get is, is that no one ever complains about our servicing. Uh, no one's ever going to give you a compliment, but, but the fact that you don't get complaints is basically the compliment. I just wanted to tell you that I'm not going to complain about your service. I mean, it's great service. <laughs> um, you know, moving forward, you know, with the bridge lender, a lot of times, uh, you know, whether you're a TCU student listening to this or somebody getting real estate, a lot of times you use a bridge loan because you have an idea of you're going to buy an, you know, we'll say a, an apartment asset and you're going to, you know, maybe you're going to increase in, in, improve the man the property management operations of the property. Maybe you're going to, you know, you're going to put some money into units, fixing up cabinets and, and tile and, and uh, you know, do some painting. And, and because you do that, now that unit is going to be able to lease for maybe $100 more than it was previously. So there's a lot of different reasons why you have an idea of how you're going to, you know, fix a, 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 uh, an asset. Well, as you're fixing up an asset, um, the question is, is whether or not you're going to get permanent uh, financing or you're going to get a bridge financing. Well, if you're going to put in a lot of work and you see a lot of income potential property, then maybe getting a fixed isn't the best idea because there's likely going to be a prepayment penalty. So um, versus rather, you know, pair it with a lender that helps get you some cash to do the improvements. Once you finish your business plan, then you can either sell it or then you go into your perm, get out some cash in the refinance and and you're at a, you know, you have a, a loan at a higher basis with maybe more favorable terms because um, it's easier for that credit team to underwrite it. So um, bridge loans are an important piece of the puzzle. And, you know, going through that, uh, Aaron, you know, a lot of people are trying to, you know, push you on, you know, don't look at the as is going in, you know, you look at, you know, the, the income three years from now or five years from now, or, you know, look at what the business plan is going to be since this is a bridge loan. So I know a lot of times, you know, you're really, you know, if you're a borrower, you're pushing for max proceeds. So can you talk about how does the interplay with future income work? I, I know a lot, the first thing you're going to ask is, can I see a three to five year pro forma? Why is that important, et cetera? Yeah. Um, and to touch on what you said first, you're spot on. What One of the one of the challenges that British lenders just, just run into generally with, with borrowers, you know, borrowers are obviously you know, rate focused and, and for good reason. 
Um, but sometimes I think borrowers struggle to uh, see the forest through the trees uh, when it comes to getting a bridge loan versus a permanent loan, because bridge loans are more expensive. But uh, to your point, what it allows you to do is Im- improve the improve the asset in the near term, then then get a permanent loan, uh, which is going to be a great rate and hopefully better proceeds than you'd qualify for today. So you might be paying you know 100, 200 bips more today than your uh, permanent capital, but but when you you look at that on um, even a five-year IRR and particularly a ten-year IRR, um, you know in most cases you're really off, you're really better off doing a transitional loan um, and and then getting better financing terms later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so so what was the second part of that question again, Carl? And just kind of, you know, as people can, you know, try to get more in loan proceeds, does a strong three to five yeah. pro forma work? And, and how, how can people really squeeze out that extra loan proceed level? Yeah. Um, so first year budgets, et cetera. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you really, the best you can, you really bake, bake that, that um, three to five year pro forma in the way we underwrite, um, you know, we're actually not giving a lot of credit for um, for market rent growth, but we give a lot of credit for having a succinct business plan to grow the cash flow. Um, so, hey, we're going to renovate these bathrooms, or hey, um, we can get seventy five dollars a unit a month uh, by putting in a washer and dryer in unit. You know, we'll 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 eat that up. What we we underwrite that uh, uh, in full. Um, so uh, that's what really helps you to get, um, you know, maybe you get 80% loan to cost today, whereas a permanent lender, it, it, you know, doesn't have the ability to, to uh, lean in like that. And maybe you're 65, 70 with a permanent lender. Yeah, great questions. And so, you know, then it kind of, you know, goes to sizing it up. So you have an idea of, you know, kind of income, you have a, you know, you're going to use a first year budget. So somebody might have went to their management company and their management company walked it or, or knows the property and says, hey, listen, they might have, for example, their repair and maintenance is it, call it, you know, $1,000 a unit. I think we can take it to $800 a unit or there might, the, the property management company might have other suggestions so they give you a first year idea of where they can run expenses. So that'll help you as well. Potentially you have the extra right. income. So you put that together. And so now it's kind of a, uh, you know, before, you know, getting too far, you're kind of like, you know, I just want to just get a quick and dirty idea of, you know, what this loan might be. So I call my buddy Carl or, you know, we work with Aaron and we get an idea of where rate is. And so, you know, is it kind of still the case that if somebody wants a decent idea of where a bridge proceed might come in that, they kind of basically kind of take that pro forma, you know, constrain it down to a, you know, one O debt cover. And that's a decent idea of where they're at or what are, what are, what's a tip you might have for a yeah. borrower looking yeah, for quick it, and dirty. It's not, uh, it's not the worst way to start. I would say the, the, the place that I would start is just going to be kind of back a napkin, finger in air, you know, what, what el- what loan to cost makes sense. Because, if, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're saying I can get a one O at, um, at 90% financing, that's probably not the right number. So, I mean, I think you just put a ballpark, hey, what do my metrics look like at 70, 75, 80% loan to cost today? And what, and what could they look like 
in two, three years if I'm successful in my business plan. So I, I, I would actually say start there as opposed to, to really coverage. Cause, yeah, co- coverage is a coverage is a moving target, right? I mean, uh, what, what? I mean, we're we're only we're less than twelve months aw- uh, away from LIBOR being what one? What, one? Do we hit one fifty? Something like that? Right. Now we're at LIBOR ten. So uh, we'll often actually focus a little bit more on um, for that reason. We'll focus a little bit more on on debt yield as a metric than uh, DSCR as well. Although obviously DSCR is important um, uh, in terms of uh, setting up um, any needed reserves for interest. What is a, so, you know, is a six debt yield a winner? Is a five too low? Are you looking, is optimum seven? Kind of, obviously, where, where are you on that? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's that's, that's something that's changed too. Um, you know, our goal as a bridge lender is, to have someone take out a loan, right? Uh, we have a permanent program that we can roll a loan into. Um, uh, we have a lot of partners in the business that um, that place loans for uh, Fannie and Freddie. Um, so happens that Fannie and Freddie's analysis is uh, is solely DSCR driven. So you know, used to, not that long ago, you really need to have a seven and a half. Uh, debt yield to get a, a loan takeout from, on a permanent loan. Um, now I would say that number is probably closer to uh, six and a half. So, mm-hmm. so that's um, that's certainly changed. And we're going to look at you know we're going to consider the uh, quality of the property as well. I mean, low, you know, lower lower debt yield for uh, lower cap rate stuff uh, make makes sense for us, but. You know, ultimately, ultimately, we're just trying to figure out how we're going to get paid off. And, you know, usually when we get paid off um, via a um, permanent takeout, sometimes we'll look at a deal and know the only the only real takeout is a recapitalization or a sale down the line. And, and sometimes that's fine, too. Hmm. So, you know, we have a few more questions, but, um, you know, we've talked a lot about multifamily, but. You know, would you mind giving a broad overview? I know you you do all, you know, you do a lot of product types. So, you you know, obviously you've done retail, you've done office, you've done industrial, you've done, you know, maybe even self-storage. So, you know, could you maybe talk about some of the other product types you're working on? Um, sure. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, it is a tricky time for product types. You know, you, usually, you know, we see a, a really good mix of all major uh, property types, but, uh, you know, a lot of them are just, uh, less, uh, liquid to finance than, than they used to be with some of the COVID specific challenges. Um, I'll kind of just go through each property type and where we on, are on it and what we're doing. If that's all right, Carl, please, please. So, um, I'll start with hotel cause that's a really interesting segment of the market right now. Um, hotel financing is very challenging. I'd say there is nearly no permanent uh, financing vehicle for hotel right now, just because by definition of where we are with COVID, every, every hotel loan is pretty much a bridge loan because um, current cash flows really don't support needed loan amounts. Um, we're going to see wow. a lot of uh, wow. cra- crazy stuff transpire in that space. We're going to see a lot of uh, recapitalizations. Um, I think a lot of folks can make a lot of money. Um, we are one of the very, very few uh, bridge lenders that are actively financing hotels. 
Um, obviously, we're being selective, and you know the uh, you know we're able to get you know very good lending coupons. Um, you know, six I'd say six to nine percent is kind of what you know we've been quoting, depending on the deal, depending on uh, on on the leverage point. Um, but there's you know this is the hotel space is going to be an opportunity uh, on the recapitalization side and on the lending side for, I think, several years um, as people uh, kind of dig themselves out of this hole. Um, retail, uh, we are actually less active in retail than hotel, which is maybe a little counterintuitive. But um, as we look across our portfolio um, of current of current loans, um, you know, it's about you know four billion dollars right now. We actually only have about a four percent uh, exposure to retail, so kind of pur- purposefully been uh, avoiding retail even even pre-COVID. Mm. Um, I think we just generally have a view that the country's um, over-retailed. Um, you know, the Amazon effect has been a real challenge for retail and. Um, mm. And over the course of time, the balance sheets of retailers have uh, really, really deteriorated. Not not only because retail sales are harder to come by, um, really due to more kind of private equity um, M and A activity. Um, you know, a lot of companies that have had that were investment grade companies have been gobbled up by uh, private equity firms and uh, you know, over lever to the point where they can't really uh, survive um, even even just secular decline in sales. So retail can get really tricky because um, not all retail deals, but uh, many, most retail deals are really dependent on uh, the health of your anchors. And mm-hmm. um, in most cases, um, you know, your junior anchor, your anchor health is uh, deteriorated with the exception being, um, some grocery stores, although some are, some are, are, you know, have certainly deteriorating balance sheets. Um, your Walmarts, your targets, your home Depot, your Lowe's and, uh, beyond that list, it's really few and far between, um, guys, you have a really, really solid prognosis, uh, for them call it, a, you know, 10 years from now. Mm. Um, Industrial is a really interesting space. Um, uh, with you know, with the uh, the move, you know, the the new Amazon economy and you know, industrial logistics is just so much more important than it used to be. Uh, and now, um, with COVID, you know, the question is uh, how how much of a shift to uh, online buying uh, is permanent, how much is te- uh, temporary, obviously doesn't take, take too much for consumers to, uh, you know, make, make new choices, uh, set new precedents for, you know, how they spend their dollars. So uh, industrial hasn't missed a beat. Demand uh, for space is, is great. Um, lender uh, demand is insatiable. Um, I think so. I mean, we're, we're certainly bullish on industrial. That said, some of the valuations have gotten pretty heavy um, to the point where, in some markets, you know, you could you can buy a 
built up it, uh, industrial, well, you can buy a class B office building for less than you can buy a tilt up uh, industrial for. So it becomes a little bit of a head scratcher, right? Cause wow. in- industrial, you're what, I mean, not inclusive of land, you're what, what, 60 bucks, 70 bucks to build. And, yeah. you know, new office, depending on your quality of build is starting at, starting at two, two fifty. Uh, yeah. I, I would think so. So that's a, that's a pretty, pretty crazy phenomenon, but I mean, it, it is the, it is the new economy. Um, and that's been, you know, a trend that's been ongoing, but hastened by, um, by COVID. Um, par- apartments we discussed, everybody's got to live, uh, live somewhere. Um, uh, I would say suburban stuff. Um, driving markets is doing really, really well. Um, CBD uh, apartments are, are are really struggling. Um, you know, it's no secret. Uh, New York New York rents are down double digit. San Francisco rents are down double digit. Huge concessions just to get people in the door. Um, wow. We we own some assets in uh, in Baltimore, um, and I would say you know a. a a really, you know, in a good area, but it's a really kind of a post-college uh, kind of party area of town, and um, you know, re- really hard to um, to lease units. I mean, twenty, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six year olds. They're such a such an important part of apartment demand. Uh, a lot of that segment of the market's been lost. Um, they're hmm. living mom and dad. They're living mom and dad's second home. You know, they're 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 stacking up trying trying to save some money and you know what's the point of being downtown walking to the bars if the if the bars aren't open if they're closed, if they're closed yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense yeah, yeah. uh what we, what we uh and office is really um office is really the 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 property type we just aren't sure about we're definitely at we're definitely active um in office financing, um, it's hard to say, you know, what what the post-COVID world holds for office. Does everyone, you know, we, do we get a vaccine and everyone's back to work and it's just like nothing ever happened? Maybe. Um, do, did everyone work from home say, hey, I like this and it worked for my employer. Um, so I'm going to just keep doing this. Um, that's definitely going to be the case for, for some employee uh, employees and employers. We already know that. Um, do some office users say, Hey, I actually want more space because, uh, I want my employees to feel like they can space out, uh, more than this traditional, uh, cube, uh, setup maybe. Um, so it's, um, it's going to be market by market for, for office for sure. Um, but I think there are, I think there are more questions, uh, than answers in that space. So, you know, we're approaching it, um, you know, with borrowers we we like, with business plans uh, we like, and markets that we have a, a positive prognosis for long-term growth. So if we're so if we're wrong, um, you know, in the short term, we can still be right in the long term. Mm. You know, Aaron, there's there's so many people that that bought in 2011 or 2012 or 2013, and and you know, first of all, it's 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 tough to take a risk with that amount. Of, so anybody. Anybody that takes a risk, I mean, I definitely applaud that, but 
you know, it just was such a rising tide that you didn't, you, you know, you could miss, let's just say there's, there's kind of three factors that make it a property, a property, you know, go, and you could miss all three and still make a crazy valuation and sell for quite a bit, you know, versus today it's, you know, you better have good management. You better get your CapEx right. You better, you know, get everything right on your business plan because the margins are so slim and we really don't know if it's going to continue rocketing up. So to make investments and yeah. in, in today, you know, it really does take a different mindset of, you know, I am a very skilled operator and I'm still confident despite what's going on around me that I can, I can excel. Is that kind of the mindset you're seeing? Yeah. There's less margin for error. No question. Um, it's, I'd say impossible to have bought an apartment in 2011, 2013, any market, any asset, and have lost money on it. I mean, you, and you could have taken occupancy from 90% to 10% and you still would make money on it. Uh, not the same for every asset class though. I mean, you definitely could have bought retail uh, and, and office um, in that time span and be looking at a loser, um, mm. you know, mar market, market dependent. But th those, stories are, those stories are out there as, as much as everything else has appreciated that, you know, there are definitely some haves and have nots. Um, and just, you know, real estate winners and losers uh, in the last 10 years, uh, you know, like there's going to be in every cycle. Yeah. And so, you know, with that, Aaron, I have two, I have just two quick questions and both of these are more introspective. So I, uh, I'm really lucky in doing what I do to work with some uh, pretty amazing people. It really is a blessing. And, and you're one of them. It's, I'm really just always Appreciate fortunate it. to meet people that are so talented and driven and successful as you are. And, and so, you know, the first kind of question is, you know, talking about moving up your career. So you, you know, you mentioned you were one of the last people left at red, you know, was it Redwood red trust? Yeah. Redwood, and, Redwood uh, Trust, yeah. Yeah, Redwood Trust. And so, you know, obviously you saw that, um, but, you know, you're able to make a name for yourself there. You have, you're now a managing director at, at a big firm at Benefit, you know, so, you know, where your peers, you know, have been successful, it seems like you've risen a little bit more quickly. So, you know, if you're, if you're talking to TCU students or maybe a young professional or anybody, I guess, listening to this, that is just looking for, you know, tips on how to, to maybe change their career path or, how to get a promotion, kind of what, you know, maybe what are a few keys to, that helps you succeed throughout the years? Yeah. You know, um, real estate is, uh, it's a competitive business to crack as I'm, as I mentioned. Um, and, and when, once you get in the door, I think, you know, oftentimes upper management knows pretty quickly who's got, who's going this way and who's going this way and who's going out the door. Um, so I, in, in my experience, and we see it with our young talent um, all the time, it's, it's, it's really, it's really just showing up. It's really, it's really hustle. It's really showing you're willing to work longer and harder uh, than, than the next guy. Um, uh, you know, real estate's complicated, but you know, we're not curing cancer. Um, college graduates, um, grad school graduates, you know, they, they can figure out uh, the basics of, of this pretty, pretty quickly. Um, so it's, it's really differentiating between, especially when you're younger, who's, who's more hungry, who, who, who wants it more, who, who can work well uh, with others. There's definitely um, 
there's definitely a segment of uh, the real estate world, whether it's an equity or, or, or finance, um, where, you know, you got to where you are because of who your dad was or who your mom was or who your dad's best friend was. So that's, uh, you know, there's definitely a nepotism factor uh, in real estate em- employment. I, um, but, um, you know, what I, what I look for on uh, a resume for, for um, a young person is, is someone who's really shown signs of hustle, someone ideally not with that kind of blue blood background. Cause I, I want someone who, who is going to come in and grind and, work harder than the next guy, even if, um, even if they didn't go to as good of a school, um, or have as, as good grades. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking for those, those, those hustlers. And, um, you know, sometimes the, the other component to it is just, is just and being, being in the right place, the right time, the right job opportunity. Cause it's, it's dominoes, right? If you didn't get one opportunity, you, you know, you wouldn't have gotten another and, um, I, I, I'd be remiss to say, uh, that there was some sense of, of luck for me getting to where I got to, uh, from, from, from where I started with some things, uh, just, you know, falling into play that, you know, I just couldn't have seen coming. Mm. Wow. You know, with, with, you know, with that, Aaron, I, I think that kind of brought in the advice and that kind of brought in a legend, but kind of going from talking about the asset types, going through 2008, you know, going through kind of what you look for in product types. I just, you know, today I got a lot out of it and I, uh, I know others will too. So I just want to personally thank you for your time and, and joining us. And, and two things, number one, I want you in the classroom first chance Love you that. get. And, uh, number two, I hope you, uh, you join us out in Dallas to, to, to meet and, uh, you know, obviously continue the fellowship. So thanks for joining us. And Aaron, Aaron Derby, Benefit Street Partners, thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Really appreciate having me, Carl. All right, buddy. It's a pleasure. All right, man. Bye-bye.